Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Would you open into your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8? That's the book. If you don't know, at the very end of your Bible, we are going to do something a little different today in that I'm going to give you a three-point sermon. Don't worry, I'm not switching that up because I know you love the three points, right? Okay, so the first two points are going to be overview points, and then the third point, we will get to the text in Revelation chapter 8. So if, you're, if you get to Revelation and you're like, well, when are we going to get there? We will get there in the third point. Cool beans? Okay, so the first point this morning, let me just start off and I will explain what I mean by this. It's a pretty famous saying going back to the 400s AD. Point number one is this. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. Someone who lived a long time ago by the name of Augustine, he's often called Saint Augustine, who lived in the 400s AD, said the heart is restless until it rests in God. And so I'll explain what that means and how it applies to the book of Revelation. Here we go. So if you go into the book of Revelation, you open up and page one talks about someone who is at an altar and he's in the midst of seven golden lampstands and this person has seven stars in their hand and they have a voice like rushing water. They have eyes like fire and they're so wise. Their hair is like wool. And this person is not named in chapter one. You have to, I think we all know who it is. Don't say it yet, but we kind of all know who this is, but if you had never seen the book of Revelation, if you were reading along the book of Revelation and you were just like, I wonder who this is. Jokingly, you might say, is this Jack Bauer? Is this Chuck Norris? No, it's none of it. If you were reading in the ancient world, you might say, is this one of the, the Greek or Roman gods? Who is this person in the first chapter of the book of Revelation? Then we get on and there's someone at the throne. There's someone seated on the throne and it's just referring to as the one who is on the throne and they're not really named. And then there's the scroll that appears in chapter four and five of the book of Revelation. And this call is made, who is worthy to open the scroll? And the author, John of the book of Revelation looks around and no one is found worthy. And so do you know what he begins to do? He begins to cry. And I don't think I have ever been able to read Revelation 4 and 5 without myself thinking, Lord, who is worthy? Is there anyone worthy? And the author, John, looks and there's a lion of Judah who appears worthy to open the scroll. And he looks again and it's a lamb. It's a lamb looking like it had been slaughtered in a sacrifice. Who could this be? This person is not explicitly named in the book of Revelation yet. And so it's just like this mystery on top of mystery. So there's the scroll and this lamb, lion, is now worthy to open it. And so they start busting off these seven seals that are on the scroll. And on the seventh seal, it's almost like a cliffhanger episode. Like if you've been watching a TV series and it just kind of ends with this cliffhanger, then the next episode opens up and there's like a whole bunch more mysteries that you need to watch to find out the answer to this mystery. Anybody ever seen Lost? Any Lost fans? Okay, a couple, my wife and I saw the series. I I was a fan years ago, came out years ago. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil it for you. you, But you've had quite a few years now to watch the series of Lost. (laughs) 
But it's one of these, uh, and I was talking to Brett who preached last week and he said, don't compare the book of Revelation to Lost because he said, Lost just has more mysteries and you get to the finale of Lost assuming that they're going to answer all these questions and they don't, they offer more. They're like, are they all dead then? Was this the after? What is going? There's just more mystery. The revelation, the, the book of the Bible, Revelation, does end with the answers. And the person at the very end who shows up and is the answer to all these questions, who was the guy in chapter one, chapter two? Who is that lamb? Who was the one who was dead? And now look, he's alive. Who is it? You can say it now. Jesus, of course. At the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, spoiler alert, we get to Jesus saying, I am here. I am the one. I, Jesus, from this line of Judah, am the one. So in this comparison uh, with Lost, if you will forgive, if you're not a Lost fan, just, just bear with me for a couple seconds. I was a big fan back in the day. But you watch Lost and it gets to all these like cliffhangers of like, oh, they're going to answer this question. And then no, they don't. They open up more questions. And it's kind of like the book of Revelation, if you'll bear with me, in that like we open up these seven seals. The scroll is about to open. And then we get to chapter eight and nine where it's, oh, there's seven more trumpets now. And then after the trumpets, guess what? There's going to be another scroll. And then after the scroll, there's going to be seven bowls. And so it's like, what? Like, well, let's get to the ending here. What is this great mystery? And, and spoiler alert for the book of Revelation, it is is Jesus. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He will make all things right. He will wipe every tear from every eye as we see at the end of the book of Revelation. Going back to Lost, if you will forgive me once again, the, the grand architect of this TV series, a guy named J.J. Abrams, says that he was highly influenced by his grandfather as a kid who would just uh, was a mysterious man. He was really into like magic tricks and illusions. And he brought little J.J. to uh, a magic shop in Midtown Manhattan and bought for him this box of magic tricks. And it was a mystery box. You didn't know what was in it. It's like $50 of magic for $15. And it had question marks all over this box. And for whatever reason, this weird little uh, JJ boy did not open the box. He was just so fascinated on what could be in the box. And so he didn't open it and days passed and then time passed and his grandfather passed away. And still to this day, he's like 50 something years old. He has this box in his office that has question marks on it. And it's this mystery magic box that he still has not opened. And then you begin to realize, well, that's the guy who wrote Lost. It's mystery on top of mystery not ever getting to the answer. And I have good news for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of this book of Revelation, I think all of us would say, yeah, that's a mysterious book. Revelation, uh, all of the wonders inside of our hearts, the, the mysteries of this world can be summarized when we find the one who enters our heart and he is this God-shaped hole. We all have this hole in our hearts. It's God-shaped, only God can fill it. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And throughout this series, I'm kind of overviewing right now, we are going to get to the answer to all the questions, which is Jesus, who is going to make all things right. And he is coming again. Can somebody say amen? amen. Okay. That was point one. 
Point two is this. It's also an overview to the book of Revelation. And it's a point that I kind of started with weeks ago when we started this series. And here we are just about uh, almost to the halfway point. I thought this would be a good time to remind us of some of the big ideas in the book of Revelation. Some of the kind of rules that we talk about for interpreting this book. And here it is. Point number two is this. The book of Revelation is not written to us but it's certainly for us. And I see a lot of new faces, so I'll explain what this means because it might sound like, wait, wait, are you saying the book of Revelation isn't important? Are you saying it's not valuable? Are you saying it's not uh, for today? No, 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 it's for today. It's for us, but it's literally, it's not written to us. So we, we would go back and we would say, if you read the book of Revelation, you'd say, well, it says to whom it's written to. It's written to these seven churches that were in the early church in the first century that were in the, like, what is today Turkey. There were seven churches and they're written, that's who John is writing to. Is it written to us, Manitou 2020? Well, no, not technically, but is it for us? Yes, of course, it, it speaks to us. It is the word of the Lord. So this idea of the revelation is not written to us, but it's written for us, will play into this answer because many of you are maybe wondering, like here we are almost halfway into the series, you might be asking yourself this question, when are we going to get to the part where people disappear up into heaven, their clothes are left behind, and Kirk Cameron saves the day? (laughs) Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the, the book series called left behind. It came out in 1995. Can you believe that? Like a quarter century ago. Is that right? Wow. Um, And so 1995, this book series came out uh, talking, uh, it's just totally fiction, totally for fun. I was a fan. I read some of those books in the early 90s. I went and watched the movies. I went to one of the premieres uh, where Kurt Cameron was there and I got to meet him. I have proof. Do we have proof? I have proof. There's me. There's Kurt. That's really, it's not photoshopped. I met him and it wasn't like we hung out. I was like, hey, can I get your picture? He's like, yeah, I, I, make it quick. I got to go. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I got my picture with Kirk Cameron. So I'm a fan of the fiction and I'm uh, just a fan of the, the book series. I thought they were wonderfully written. Um, but, but here's where I'll, I would shift and say I'm not a fan of the theology that says that the book of Revelation is these codes that need to be applied directly to today, 2020 or or 1995, the modern age, without first understanding it through the lens of the early church and to whom the seven churches that it was written to. Does that make sense? And, and I'm trying, I'm going to try my hardest during this point number two to not badmouth other Christians, to not cause division, to, because I think when it comes to the book of Revelation, people have strong opinions about their interpretation. And I'm, I'm going to try to speak highly of different views while, while uh, honorably disagreeing and saying that, that my point of view, and I think the point of view of every book that we read in the context of scripture, good hermeneutics, exegesis, says that we need to understand the context of the book in its original context to the author, the audience, 
the genre to whom it was written to and not pick out codes and things for today and look around our world and say, oh, these conspiracy theories, they're being fulfilled in these codes that are in any book of the Bible. Does that make sense? I realize that I'm going to be um, stressing some of your thoughts about the book of Revelation as I talk about this, but it really, it goes back to day one stuff when we started this series, that this book of Revelation, it's not written to us, it's written to an ancient world, and we need to understand that context if we are going to apply it and and, and we do believe uh, in Jesus' return. We do believe in the resurrection that is coming. We do believe in a judgment. We do believe in, in life in the world to come. We do believe that Jesus' kingdom is coming. And, and we believe these things very strongly. What I'm saying is, is some of the fictional things that we see in the Left Behind series, they're based on uh, codes that are in the, in the book of Revelation and bypassing the early church understanding and just applying them to conspiracy theories going on today. And, and that's not that helpful. I would, I would just honorably disagree with other Christians in that um, framework. And here's kind of why, because as soon as you get into that framework, um, and we'll talk about this throughout the series. So if you're like, whoa, I've never heard someone say that there's a different view than the left behind view. Um, if that's where you're at, well, keep coming. Keep listening to these sermons. We will explain further and talk about that more. Um, but here's what happens. If you get into that worldview of like, there's codes in the book of Revelation, let's apply them to the modern age. Then you begin to get into um, odd things where you begin to pick dates, which is very dangerous for picking dates of when Jesus will return. And Jesus specifically says, don't do that. He will come like a thief in the night. And so I have a couple books of things. I'm going to get these from, um, I I kind of collect these things. it's an odd little collection. And, and, and so I'll go back in time. This is like during my lifetime, there was a little book. Some of you have no idea what this is. I was 10 years old when this came out. I, I had no idea until like hindsight uh, that this book existed. But this is 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Does anyone... I mean, what are the odds, right? There's 88 reasons. It's 19. What are the odds? Wow. Um, but, but respectfully, uh, we could kind of snicker because the, did the rapture happen in 1988? No, it was just, it was one of those things that where Christians pick these codes in Revelation and then look around and say, wow, the Lord is doing this and this could line up with this. And then you get a full-fledged book that sold millions of copies. Is any, raise your hand is, if anyone remember this. Nobody, okay, a couple people remember 88 Reasons Why. Um, all of you that are old enough will probably remember these kinds of books. Do you remember this? The Y2K stuff? Uh, so this was 20 years ago, plus a little bit, because th- these books came out in like 98, 99. And this one, like especially is Y2K equals... 666 question mark with the TV or the computer screen and an eyeball in the eyeballs, like an evil looking face. If you can come up later and look at it. But these guys, God bless them. At the time, they were like developing theories and taking codes from Revelation and applying them to their day 20 years ago and saying, This is the Lord has to be returning. This is Judgment Day 2020. The, the, the 666 is, it kind of answers the question. It's, it's a question mark as a title, but he goes on to say, yes, this Y2K is the beast, 666. The end of the world is the the year 2000. And here we are, 
<laughs> 20 years later, looking back, just kind of giggling. Like, yeah, that's, that's silly. Um, so that, I'll put these down. One more. This isn't a book, but a, a bumper sticker. Some of you, I asked Brett. Brett didn't recognize this, but some of you will recognize this uh, from nine years ago. Anybody recognize these? I mean, it was a huge uh, billboard campaign, uh, sticker campaign. I wrote them and asked for a sticker, and they sent it to me just for this reason. Like, I, I know that we're not supposed to pick dates. They picked a date, which was May 21st, 2011, and their website was wecanknow.com. And no, you can't. We can't. I went to this website this morning, and it's like broken. It's for sale. Like, that, we can't. No, stop it. Stop the whole thing. Um, and so respectfully, because... Um, We'll get back on track. It's silly. It's, it's kind of fun in hindsight to, to do that. But the thing is, like, this will keep happening if we don't have a bigger picture of what the book of Revelation is. The book of Revelation is not codes for the modern age to, to get conspiracy theories and work out fear and, and this, this kind of, uh, like, hysteria that comes with picking dates. No, no, no. The, the book of Revelation is for this ancient church, these seven churches. Uh, it's to them, and it's for us today seeing this grand picture of Jesus being in charge and the power of the church on earth and the power of Jesus in the church back then and today. So here we are. Let's get now to this third point. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 8. We are going to read verses 1 through 5 and, and mention that this sermon is really about Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, but I'm just going to, because of the, of the time that I spent kind of recapping uh, the whole book in those first two points. We're just going to look at verses one through five and talk about the power of prayer. So point number three is this. Prayer is powerful. Jesus is alive. Jesus is a well. Jesus is powerful. He is listening to us. And when we pray, as the song we sang this morning, when we pray, where there was a wall, there will be a way. Jesus is with us. He is in control. And when we line up our wills with the will of Jesus Christ, that wonderful, powerful things happen. So Revelation 8, 1 says this, so uh, he opens the seventh seal. So remember, there's a scroll. The one who is found worthy is this lamb, and, and seals start popping off. There's, there's seven of them. At the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Silence. Like that's, I live in a house with four little boys. <laughs> silence for a half hour. Can you imagine it? Like that's the, like, Wow. Like, wow, the wonder of silence. It's powerful. We live in a day and age where everyone is just talking over each other, right? Especially like now, like heading towards an election, people are just talking and is anyone listening? I don't think so. It's just more and more talking and louder volume. I, was, I read a stat this week that said that 55,000 Facebook posts are posted every second. Are you right? Like every, in the world, like on this one site, Facebook and Twitter, there's some other numbers out there, but every second, like all these posts, people are constantly talking and yelling and everyone has an opinion and they're sharing it. And, and is anyone 
quiet. Is anyone listening? There was silence in heaven for a half hour. And this is preceded by all these crazy events going on. More crazy events are going to happen. But here stands in the middle, almost, almost directly in the middle of this book, chapter 8, uh, a little before the middle, is silence in heaven for about a half hour. Do you have space in your life where you're silent? The silence is going to be broken by prayer, the prayers of the church, people of God. Do you have time in your life where you're just... Silent, where you listen to the Lord, where we have space to the Lord, what are you speaking? What are you saying to me? Do you have space in your day, as the rhythm of your day? Do you have space for silence? Do you have rhythms in your month? Erica and I, uh, our worship leader, that's my wife, we have these rhythms where, well, I watch the kids, we're one night, she'll watch the kids, and, and we'll get away and we'll just have personal retreats where we're silent, where we, where we listen, where we just take a breath and, and have these times of silence. It was prophesied over me, someone kind of in a corporate setting like this was, was sharing different words for different people. It was, it was a staff meeting uh, at New Life Church and pointed at me and it was just beautiful words and said, Joe, I feel like the Lord is telling you to have times of retreat where you listen to the Lord and are silent. This happened about two years ago and since then, I try to every month to get away for like at least 24 hours and have silence. And my friend Brian Bettis who was up here, he's the uh, worship leader for New Life Downtown. He was our drummer today. We'll drum again. Uh, whoop, Brian Bettis. He was there and the, he felt like the word of the Lord came to him and gave him a song. He's a songwriter, brilliant songwriter, and recorded a song for me. So every month I go out and I listen to this song about fresh oil. It's a good word, man. Um, about the Lord filling us up and, and we being still before the Lord and Lord lifting us up. So I pause here just to talk for a second about silence. Silence preceding prayer. Verse 2 says this. I saw an angel. I saw, and I saw the seventh, seventh angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. So, so once again, there's seven seals. At the end of the seven seals, there's now seven more things. There's seven trumpets now. And an angel, another angel who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. A censer is a thing that holds incense, and, and smoke comes out of it, and it's beautiful smelling. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God in the angel's hand. So you see this picture. I have a censer I brought. Uh, this isn't a golden one. This is a, uh, just a clay one. And in here is this uh, frankincense that, that I imagine the early church would have used. Frankincense is this sap from a tree and myrrh. They're both these saps that are dried up and coals are put into a censer. And then on top of, this, of these coals are put the incense. And up from that comes the beautiful smells that are supposed to remind us of the prayers of the saints being lifted up. And so I will light this this morning as a, as a reminder of the prayers of the saints being lifted up into heaven. This one's made out of clay, but the one in the book of Revelation was, was made out of um, gold. And it says this, that the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. And then what does he do? He hurls it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning, 
and an earthquake. So do you see this image? Like the prayers of the people are being lifted up like incense burning. We sang that song this morning, day and night, night and day. Let incense rise. Well, what's the big deal with that? Well, the big deal is this is a representation of the mystery of the prayers of the people going up to heaven, working with what God is doing at his altar. And here in this image, the angel takes that, uh, Brady called it like a prayer. What do you call it on, on Wednesday? He called it like a prayer prayer bomb. It's like it's a prayer bomb. The worship of the saints being lifted up to heaven. Pa- Pastor Brady Boyd, I record, we record a sermon that goes out. And it's like right now, 10 o'clock, uh, it goes to KRDO. And so people are listening to this sermon where Brady talks about an angel taking this prayer bomb of the people and bringing it back to earth to quench the evil that is here, to do the work of the God and to make, do the work of God to make things right on this earth. And here's a, a list of some of these things. I mean, this is in the midst of, um, you have to realize that in the midst of uh, persecution of the early church. Like the early church, it was going through a time where people were being killed for sport because they were Christians and they were believers. We live in a time now where there's immense pressure amongst us. I, I, I know that there is persecution in other countries and people, Christians being killed today, but, but whatever that is in the United States, like even today, like there is immense pressure. I know COVID and, and people, the government is like asking churches still in other states. I, there was a prayer, there was a, a pastor's conference this week and pastors from all over our nation came. And some people are saying where, where they're from, they are not even allowed to meet yet as a church because the government really does not want them to meet. And, and Walmart gets to meet, liquor stores get to open up, uh, um, um, other things, uh, the grocery stores, uh, even restaurants. You can go out to eat in these other states, but you can't have church according to their laws. And so whatever, I don't know that that's persecution, but that is tremendous pressure. We have pressure on us and we lift our prayers to the Lord. And then the Lord does these things. Here's all these metaphors and I'll just list them here. But if you want uh, a really good sermon on what these things mean, Brett Davis, two weeks ago on New Life uh, Friday night, you could watch the sermon. He goes through each of these and compares them to the the trumpets being sounded in the Old Testament Jericho and compares these plagues with the Egyptian plagues. And it's a beautiful sermon set through the lens and the eyes of the early church and how they would have interpreted it. It's wonderful. But I'll just list them here. Uh, What happens? These seven trumpets, there's hail, there's fire. Sounds like a Colorado summer. And then their mountains are thrown into the sea. The sea is turned into blood. Animals die. Ships are destroyed. A star falls. Its name is Wormwood. There's bitter waters. There's an eclipse of the moon, the sun of heavenly lights. Day turns to night. There's an eagle at the end of chapter 8 warning everyone. Chapter 9 starts the fifth trumpet. Another star falls. There's smoke. The sky is dark. And there's these locusts with human faces and teeth and they have scorpion tails and they're stinging people who are evil and carrying out evil. There's angels hurting people that are doing evil things. There's mounted troops all like literally mounted against the forces of evil on this earth trying to make things right. This is the prayers of the saints, like us, like crying out to God, God, this is not right. Make it right. And the prayer like incense, does anybody smell it yet? You smelling the incense? Okay, good. It's like mingling with the work of God and coming back down and the Lord is making things right. And all these metaphors of evil being destroyed is being carried out. And guess what happens? 
There are people doing evil that still refuse to repent. If you look at chapter 9, you get to the end of these seven trumpets. Chapter 9, verse 20, you could look at it on your own. It just says uh, that the rest of mankind who were not killed in these plagues still did not repent. Lord, help us still did not repent of the work of their hands. And it goes on to say they continued to do evil. And I think about like, a, like us, like what are we doing today? Like what, there's, there's things, there's evil being crushed. And yet some of us, all of us are still choosing wrong at times. Lord, help us. We need to repent. We need to return to God and say, Lord, Make your goodness and your rightness inside of us. It might sting, it might hurt, but Lord, you are God. We are not, and we repent from our sins. You know, every week uh, at New Life Manitou, we do a couple things. We, we do communion, which we're, we're going to go to the table in just a few minutes. And every week we have this moment at the end of the service where there is uh, a time to come down for prayer. And I would encourage each and every one of you to, to come forward for prayer for if you have a prayer request, but also if you know you need to repent. Like the, here's this, the, these things being carried out and evil being crushed in the world, evil being crushed in our lives. And there's still people who won't repent. Let's not be like that. Let's repent before the Lord and come to him with all of our lives and say, Lord, we're sorry for what we have done. Would you forgive us? And we worship a God who forgives, who has been slaughtered for our sin. That's this great image in the book of Revelation, that the Savior, Jesus Christ, has come to forgive us of all our sins, and he welcomes us to his table. So would you join me in standing? And and baskets below your chairs are, um, it's a little cup with uh, juice and bread there. Brett's going to lead us to the table. Band, you can come up to to lead us in this last song. But I want to take us into a moment where we pray, where we kind of silence ourselves before the Lord, and we are welcomed into his table. So Lord, we, we come before you. And we know you are welcoming us to your table, a table of forgiveness, a table where we come to you and say, Lord, we're sorry for what we have done. And you just hug us and you love us. You bring us into salvation. You cover over us, over all of our sin. You lift us up to yourself. You allow us to come near to you, to have a a meal, a feast with you. So Lord, we praise you. We worship you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, in this city, in this church. Lord, we praise you.